Hi readers, and welcome to episode 11 of Lost the Plot, the Tinted Edges monthly podcast all about books. I'm your host, Ang Harrod, and today we're going to be talking about indie books. We have special guest Donna Hosey joining us to give us a rundown on the ins and outs of self-publishing. But first, books for the world. Right up the top, the Kitchener Street Library is still going strong. It hasn't fallen down, nobody's defaced it, there's no graffiti, it's still full of books. We've had enough visitors now to fill two pages of the guest book, and there has definitely been a turnover in books, which is really exciting. So in episode 9 we talked about a couple of great fundraising campaigns, and we've had some updates. Asia Book Room, run by Sally, who we chatted to in episode 8 was running a Christmas giving tree campaign to raise money for wages for a teacher in Nepal. I am really happy to say that they raised over $5,000, which was more than they needed for Lamy Sherpa's wages, and the extra money will be used for more training and her school clothing allowances. We also talked about fantasy author Patrick Rothfuss's charity World Builders, which raised over $2.5 million, and half of that was matched funding, which is pretty out of control. You might remember I talked about the lottery that happens with this fundraiser, where for every $10 you donate, you get an entry into a draw to win a prize. Well, I nearly missed out on my prize because my email decided that winning a book series is spam. Luckily, I checked my spam box on a whim the other day and saw the final reminder email and I nearly had a heart attack thinking I'd missed out. I won a series called The House War Series by Japanese-Canadian author Michelle Sagara, and I am absolutely stoked. There are six books published in the series so far, with a seventh slated for publication this year. And if you missed out on World Builders, don't despair, they'll be back again at the end of the year. Twenty seventeen has kicked off with a bang, and there is plenty of book news to start the year running. Lots of people have been discussing book reading lists and book reading goals. I personally have very ambitiously set my Goodreads reading challenge to 75 books this year. At the time of recording, I'm already at 14 books, so I think I might be in with a good chance. There were also a lot of summer reading lists that have been circulated, and even recommendations from Canberra politicians and celebrities, so if you're looking for some inspiration or some help breaking out of your reading boxes, I saw some really good lists floating around and you can check them out in the show notes. Throughout January, book website Booktopia ran a poll to find out who is Australia's favourite author. The poll involved a lot of rounds and contests and voting and over 100,000 votes, and Booktopia announced the top 10 winning authors. The top voted author was action writer Matthew Riley, second was Tim Winton, third Mem Fox, fourth Bryce Courtney, and fifth young adult writer John Marsden, and you can check out the entire top 10 in the show notes. The start of the Trump administration in the USA has brought about an interesting trend in book sales. Since Trump assumed the presidency, the quintessential dystopian novel 1984 by George Orwell has been dominating the Amazon best-selling lists and hard copies have actually sold out. Um, another interesting bestseller is the recently published critical edition of Adolf Hitler's book 
Mein Kampf, which is complete with annotations highlighting the dictator's mistakes and his use of propaganda. And this book has also controversially topped lists in Germany. In other fascism and book news, publisher Simon & Schuster have caused a stir by deciding to publish notorious alt-right conservative writer Milo Yiannopoulos' book, Dangerous, and they gave him a 250000 book deal for it. In a letter addressed to an unnamed author, CEO Carolyn Reedy stated in defense of the decision, in considering this project, the imprint believed that an articulate discussion of these issues coming from an unconventional source like Mr. Yiannopoulos could become an incisive commentary on today's social discourse that would sit well within its scope and mission, which is to publish works for a conservative audience. Despite the CEO Carolyn Reedy's assurances that they won't publish hate speech, other authors were not convinced. Feminist writer Roxane Gay has pulled her upcoming book How to Be Heard from Simon & Schuster's TED Books imprint, and Tasmanian best-selling author Bradley Trevor Grieve has also spoken out against his publisher's decision, writing on Facebook that they have shamed me and tainted my book. It's not only authors who've been rebelling this past month. In Florida, USA, two subversive librarians have been caught committing fraud in an attempt to save classic books. The librarians created a fake reader called Chuck Finley, complete with home address and driver's license number, and checked out 2,361 books over nine months. Under the library's policy, if books aren't checked out for a couple of years, they get removed from the shelves and destroyed. However, by checking out so many books under a fake name, the renegade librarians actually increased the library's circulation rate by 3.9%, which could have actually fraudulently increased the amount of funding that the library got. The jig was up after an, an anonymous tip launched an internal investigation. Another man defying convention for the love of books has opened up a bookshop in South Sudan. After fleeing persecution across the border as a Christian, um, he joined a UN refugee camp with tens of thousands of other people outside the city of Malakal. In a country where the adult literacy rate is estimated to be as low as 27%, Jumar Ali is nevertheless a proud bookseller and only charges a small amount for the books that he brought, collected, or received as donations. Now, speaking of not paying much money for books, you might remember way back in episode 3 I talked about Free Comic Book Day. Well, Free Comic Book Day is coming up again this year in May, and the list of comics that will be available to you for free has been released. So make sure you check out your local comic book store and just find out what's going to be on, when it's going to be on. It, you can't miss it. There's been an update, well, if you can call it that, on George R. R. Martin's next instalment in the A Song of Ice and Fire series, which is also known as Game of Thrones. The epic fantasy author has said that he thinks that The Winds of Winter, which is book seven, is going to be out this year. However, he did acknowledge that he said the same thing last year. With the TV series airing its seventh season in the middle of the year, it is not looking likely that the books are going to catch up anytime soon. Now... As always, it would not be book news without at least one Harry Potter story, and this month, thankfully, there is only the one. A new edition of the Hogwarts textbook, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, has been announced with a new cover, new foreword, and six new Fantastic Beasts included. Now, I'll be interested to see 
if these beasts are ones that were actually in the movie because I felt like there were a couple that were talked about that perhaps were not actually in the original textbook anyway so it but this is I have to be clear this is the original textbook not the screenplay of the recently released film so um yeah I'll be interested to see how that is there is quite a lot of film and tv adaptation news this month it's been announced that classic children's author Enid Blyton's Magic Faraway Tree books are being turned into a movie. Now, I'm really excited about this because I loved the Faraway Tree books, but I'm also a little bit skeptical about this because Enid Blyton was very much a product of her time, and uh, there are lots of things, and in fact, lots of her books um, have been edited and re-released for a more modern audience. And in fact, I, I'm interested to see what they do about the names because two of the characters in the Magic Faraway Tree were called Dick and Fanny. And I believe they changed those names to more modern names that are less reminiscent of genitals in the later editions of the book. Anyway, so the, uh, I, I digress. The, uh, the director is Oscar-winning Sam Mendes, who is known for his work on American Beauty. Revolutionary Road and uh, that James Bond film Skyfall so it'll be really interesting to see how he goes with a whimsical film for children uh, so Jodie Picoult's latest novel Small Great Things has been picked up as a film with Viola Davis and Julia Roberts slated to play the two main characters so like I talked about in an earlier episode I actually got to meet Picoult last year and see her speak about this book and I think that it is arguably her best book yet so I'm really keen to see how the adaptation goes about capturing, you know, the subtleties that she int introduced in this novel that I felt like maybe she hadn't quite hammered on the head in some of the other ones. Um, you might also remember we've talked about the Hulu TV adaptation of The Handmaid's Tale, a book originally by Margaret Atwood in a, a dystopian anti-feminist society. Uh, so this TV show comes out on April 26th. The trailer has been released. It looks epically sinister. I'm really excited. A TV adaptation of Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett's co-written novel Good Omens is slated to hit Amazon Prime in 2018. Uh, the original book was written in 1990 and Neil Gaiman has written all six episodes. Finally, there were two gorgeous little stories that I just simply have to share. So in episode four, I talked about lost books, but I have to say I much, much prefer stories about Bound books. Gina Zorowski, an associate professor at a university in Canada, kept books in her office to lend to students. Now, whenever you lend books, you might remember me talking about, there is always a risk that that book may not come back. And understandably, Zorowski lost her copy of a textbook called Consuming Subjects, Women Shopping and Business in the 18th century, which was a book that she'd actually used while research researching her dissertation. After she realized it was missing, she decided to replace it by ordering the cheapest second-hand copy she could find online and getting it delivered to her house. When it eventually arrived and she opened it up, she flicked through the pages and thought that the notes and underlining looked suspiciously familiar. And lo and behold, when she checked inside the cover, there was her name. Her book had made its way home. The last story is about a brilliant little girl aged four years old who made the news because she re has read over a thousand books already in her short little life. And I have to say, I would love to see that Goodreads account. Dahlia got invited 
after making news, to serve as a librarian for a day at the USA Library of Congress and met Librarian of Congress Carla Hayden, who in 2016 became the first African-American to hold that position. And according to Dahlia, the Cong Library of Congress is her most, most, most favorite of libraries. So this month we're talking indie books, independently published books, or self-published books, are books that an author organizes to publish themselves, circumventing the traditional publishing process where you send a manuscript to a publisher and they reject you a trillion times. Now, I have some experience with self-published books because my family used to run a small publishing business, and the process of actually making a physical book is actually really interesting, and it's interesting enough that maybe I might talk about it in another episode. Anyway, so one of the great advantages of self-publishing is that you can make as many or as few books as you like, um, and in particular if you make ebooks because they're infinite, uh, and you can make whatever kind of book you like. And I have seen books of all types. I've had lots of really diverse indie books sent to me um, over the last year to review. But to get a really good idea of what goes into making an indie book, I thought I'd catch up with my friend Donna Hersey and we'd have some lunch and I'd ask her all about it. Today we're here with award-winning young adult author Donna Hosey. Hi Donna, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Harry. So Donna is best known for her series The Devils and is a hybrid author who has books that are self-published, which are also called indie books, as well as books that are traditionally published. So Donna, how did you first get into writing? first got into writing um, about 10, 11 years ago. I was living in the UK at the time and I uh, worked on a Harry Potter website, a website called The Leaky Cauldron, which was hugely popular at the time um, because the books were still being released then. And yeah, I think probably a lot of people know that. I'd say everybody, I think, well it was JK Rowling's favourite website, so yeah. at, at the height of kind of Pottermania it was getting about 50 million hits a month. It was, oh it was absolutely huge and it was, it was crazy. And Warner Brothers were very smart, um, and they decided instead of, and they were one of the first kind of film companies to do this, instead of going after the websites to kind of take down content, they actually started to work with the fan websites. Um, and what they asked um, me to do was actually to go along to the studios um, and report back on the website about things that were involved uh, in the movies. So like movie uh, tie-in products, that kind of thing. That's so cool. And it was just amazing. So when uh, Order of the Phoenix was the first film that I got involved in, and I would go along to EA Games and I would see all, all the, the, the film stuff and, and all the, the game products before anybody else in the world would see them. And I, I got to play Harry Potter on the Wii before anybody else in oh the world. God. And it was like, you know, just a big bunch of kids in the studio just kind of throwing wands around it. It was just so much fun. And then I would go home and I would write up a report about what I'd seen and that would then be published on the website. And uh, then it got syndicated around the world, kind of, and translated. And that was how I got into actual writing professionally. Um, that then went into uh, writing fan fiction, yep. which I think is a great start for anybody who's younger and is looking to get into writing, because if you're writing fan fiction, you're already writing about something you're really passionate about. Yeah. And it's a really good way of, uh, of learning the ropes. And from writing fan fiction, I was asked to then write a chapter for an actual book about Harry Potter. Oh my god. Um, and I actually, it was a, a kind of a, a prediction book on what was going to be in the final Harry Potter book, Deathly Hallows. 
and my uh, chapter was about horcruxes. And I was so pleased with myself because I predicted Harry was a horcrux. Oh. <laughs> and that was like, that, that got me noticed. <laughs> um, then I moved out to Australia 10 years ago. And I wasn't working on the Potter website anymore because I decided to kind of cut ties with it. Um, and I just was at a loose end. So I thought, well, I'll start writing my own books. And so I did. Brilliant. And so what made you decide to self-publish your first series, Return to Camelot? So the first book I wrote was not uh, the book Searching for Arthur, which is actually my first published book. Yep. The first book I wrote was absolutely awful. Um, the second book I wrote wasn't much better. And the third <laughs> book I wrote was so awful I just deleted it after I'd written it. But Searching for Arthur was actually the fourth book I wrote. Yeah, and those right. first three books were actually essential because it's where I learned how to write fiction. Yeah. They weren't good enough to be published by any stretch. Yeah. Um, but that was where I, I, I learned the ropes. Now, Searching for Arthur was my first ever young adult novel. And I actually uh, originally wanted to um, get, go through the traditional publishing route. So I, I kind of applied to, you know, send off query letters, try and get an agent, because you can't get a publishing deal without an agent. Yeah. And I actually um, got quite a lot of agents who were interested in reading more. And there was one agent in particular, um, I won't say her name, but she was incredibly helpful. But for nine months, we did a revise and resubmit process, which is, I sent her the manuscript, she would then make notes, send it back to me, I would revise it, send it back to her, and we went through this three times. And then three days before Christmas, I think it was 2011, uh, she, she came back to me and said, look, I've thought about it really carefully, it's not just quite right yet. Yeah. And I think she said, I think, you know, we, we need to kind of just put a halt to this instead of me coming back to you and you revising. And I was absolutely crushed. It was like I, I'd come so close to getting an agent. I thought, yeah. this is it. This is the book that will get me a book deal. And you put your heart and soul and in absolutely. and made all the revisions. Oh, my God. You yeah. cannot, unless you're a writer, you cannot truly appreciate just how much heart and soul goes into writing and things yeah. like that. So, um I decided there and then, well I kind of slept on it for about a week and yeah. um, I thought right that's it, I'm, I'm done, I'm, not, I'm never going to publish a book, it's just too, it's just too demoralising, the, yeah. the rejections. And then I thought you know what, sod it, I am, I hope I'm allowed to say that word, yeah. <laughs> um, I thought sod it, I am just going to take back ownership myself and I'm going to publish it myself. Yeah. And that was when I then spent the next three months learning everything I could about independent publishing. Um, and I think it was six months later, Searching for Arthur was published. Fantastic. And so what were some of the big differences um, when it came to self-publishing or independently publishing e-books as opposed to independently publishing paperbacks? Well, when I first published Searching for Arthur, I did it only as an e-book. Yep. Um, independent publishing is, it, it's not the easy route to publishing and I really want to make that clear. You, there, there are a lot of steps you've got to go through. I like to think of it as an author takes ownership of their own writing and then project manages the actual publication themselves. Yep. So basically as the author, you're doing exactly what a publishing house would do. That's if you're doing independent publishing properly. Yep. So you need to engage artists to do a decent cover. Yep. You absolutely need somebody who knows what they're doing to edit your book. Yep. Because otherwise you're going to get you know, this big hot mess. Yeah. Um, you need somebody to copy, copy edit, and a copy editing is different from editing. A, an editor will go through your book and say, actually, you know, this bit doesn't really tie in with this book, and a, a bit, and, and this character, it's just, it's not working. Can we change something here? And, and the story isn't flowing, so let's change it. That's what an editor will do. They'll look at the whole content. 
A copy editor isn't looking at content, a copy editor will go through and make sure your words make sense, your punctuation is correct, your grammar is correct. And a copy editor, in my opinion, is as important, if not more important, than an editor. Yeah. So you need that. And finally, if you're doing ebooks and paperbacks, you need to have to actually have the Word document formatted for uploading to whatever publishing platform you use. A vast majority of indies um, use Kindle, uh, yep. Kindle Direct Publishing. That's certainly what I use. And then I use Create Space for those books that I independently paperback publish. Yep. And, and the main difference, so, so the, the cover art, that's all the same. You're, you're editing, you're copy editing, that's all the same for both. The, the two differences are that you will need uh, different templates to format and you have to learn and kind of practice makes perfect. Don't think you're gonna do it in a day or a week or even a month yep. um, because it's fiddly and you've got to keep uploading it to make sure that you know it's, it's coming out properly. Um, but once you've done the process once, it gets so much easier with the other ones. The, the first one is always the hardest. Yeah, so it's almost like running a small business. Absolutely, yeah. that's exactly what it is. And, and that's how you have to approach publishing. Publishing should never be, be a, a vanity exercise. You know, if you are putting out a product, especially if you're putting out a product and you want people to pay for it, you have to be professional. Yep. And that means you are project managing, you know, you are the, you are the boss. Yep. You, you've just got ownership. So the, the main difference between indie and traditional publishing is with a traditional publisher, you've got a publishing house that do all of that for you. Yep. Whereas indie publishing, you're doing it all yourself. So it's actually harder, but you've got complete ownership. You decide on the cover, you decide on your release, you decide what goes in the book. So it's very, very empowering if you do it, but you have to do it properly. And do you think it's a lot easier to do that now because people are so much more online? And oh, absolutely. Um, when I first started, I was actually one of the first hybrid, um, which is what you said in your introduction. I was one of the first hybrid um, authors, so I, um, I, I independently published uh, Searching for Arthur and the Fire of Merlin, which were the two first books in my Return to Camelot series. But in between books two and three, I actually got an agent and a publishing deal. Oh, but right. I still decided that I was going to keep this trilogy. It was mine. I was yep. going to retain ownership of it, and it never kind of crossed paths with the, the traditional side. Um, it's, yeah, like I say, it, it's, it's a business. You have to do it professionally go online and, and learn about it um, there's a lot of people who are very happy to share their experiences of it but I cannot stress enough you hurt your brand you you hurt your potential for selling in the future if you don't do it correctly yeah so I review a lot of self-published books and I have to say that is one thing that I've noticed that there is such a big range in quality you know some some are really polished and some are really good and then other ones like you say they seem like they don't have any editing they haven't had professional cover art done they haven't had copy editing there's lots of typos um what do you think is probably the, the biggest mistake that people make when they go out to self-publish well i don't think there's one big mistake i think there's lots of little ones that yeah. they, they make um my personal opinion and and this is backed up by by figures if you look at traditional publishing the author's Authors are not overnight successes. Yeah. The vast majority of authors do not publish their first book. Yeah. Um, you don't get a book deal for your first book unless... I mean, it's very, very rare. Most um, authors who are so-called overnight successes are probably already on their third or fourth book. That's certainly... I knew that my first three books were not good enough to be published. I yeah. never even thought about publishing them. Yeah. 
but I knew searching for Arthur was. Um, so I think a, a big mistake is that uh, writers rush in to publishing because they can. Yeah. Don't. Sit back and learn the trade. Um, it's like, you know, if you were an electrician, would you go out and rewire an entire house after your first couple of lessons? Of course you wouldn't. You, you know, you start off small and you build up, and that's the, exactly the same uh, kind of process you've got to apply to publishing. So don't publish your first book unless you've got other people, independent people, not your family, not your friends, independent people who are saying this is really good. Another mistake people make is on the cover art. Now your cover is literally your promo. It's your first introduction. They will see your cover before they've even read a word. If you go in with uh, some poorly designed, you know, make it up yourself on PowerPoint or, you know, or, or paint, um, you're not going to get anywhere. People do judge books by the covers. I judge books I by judge covers. <laughs> if there's a crap cover, I'm not going to buy your book. I don't care no, who it's written no, by. No. Um, so so that, that's, that's another mistake as well. It's absolutely worth getting a professional designer to design your cover. Yep. Because once it's out there, that's it. it's on the internet. You know, yep. it's, it's on Goodreads. That's, it's on Goodreads. There's no changing it. The, um, the other problem, so I think there's three. I think people rush into it. I think they don't use a professional cover, but probably if you're gonna say the biggest, it's the, with the, um, the editing and the copy editing. Yeah. You know, you've gotta have somebody who is not your mom, who is not your boyfriend, who is not, you know, your, somebody who wants, took a few, you know, night courses in, in literature. You need somebody professional, and that is where I pay. Yeah. That, that's where I would pay the big money to have somebody independent go over it and be brutal. Yeah, because it's it's an investment, really. Absolutely, you know? it really is, and I think that's that puts a lot of independent authors off. They think they can scrimp and save on things like cover art and, and editing. What I would say to them is that the outlay you put out at the beginning, you will get back in a better royalty return rate. For example, yeah. on Kindle Direct Publishing, um, if you put your book, uh, your ebook, at two ninety nine or above. You get 70% royalties. Yeah. That's pretty darned good. Yeah. And then word of mouth spreads and, you know, people say, well, this book was really professional. It was really interesting. It was it gripped me and they pass it on. Yeah. If you don't do that, your book's going to go nowhere. And it doesn't matter if you scrimped and saved, you're not going to make any money from publishing because nobody's going to buy the book. Yeah. So independent publishing, your money is outlaid at the very beginning, whereas in traditional publishing, you're probably going to get more money in the long term. Um, you'll get an advance, yep. but the royalty rate is, is so tragic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, so it's, it swings and roundabouts. Yeah. But the fame, but maybe not the fortune. No, absolutely not. There's 99 percent. I think of writers need a need a job yeah. <laughs> to pay the bills. So, I guess to wrap up. Do you have any writing news you'd like to share with us? Are you working on anything at the moment? I am. So a few months ago, um, this is not an independent publishing, but this is uh, a traditional publishing deal, um, which was signed, I think, October, November last year yeah. uh, for a book deal, uh, a world rights deal, actually. That's the first one I've ever signed. Um, world rights? World rights Ooh, with Holiday global. House Publishing yeah. in uh, New York and my book, The 48 which is about two time-travelling twin assassins who go ah. back to the court of Henry VIII. That will be released, I think, spring 2018. Oh, so at the moment, I'm just finishing off my first yeah. editor edits for that. Yeah. So you're already right in the thick of it. Well, I'm at the end of the thick of it. The end of the thick <laughs> I'm of looking it. forward to a break. Yeah. 
Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for joining yes, us today, pleasure. Donna. That was young adult author Donna Hosey, and you can find out more about her books by checking out her website in the show notes. Okay, so I know that I usually do a rundown of all the books that I've read over the past month, but literally this last month I read 12 books, and that is just too many books for me to talk to you about, and that is too many books for you to listen to me talk to you about. So instead, I'll just quickly run through the highlights. I finally got around to reading The Secret Loves of Geek Girls, which was a book that I supported on a Kickstarter quite a while ago. It was, a, it was really enjoyable. It's a collection of lots of little um, memoirs and stories of lots of different people. And I, like, I was completely the target audience, and I absolutely loved the diversity of the authors and all of the beautiful illustrations. I have received a copy of a book called Revenants a while ago by Scott Kaufman, which I really enjoyed. Part mystery, part war novel. I, look, I'm not really into war novels, but you know, I was really impressed by this book. I really liked its message, and I really enjoyed how cleverly everything tied together. I read a really interesting memoir called Don't Let's Go to the Dogs Tonight by Alexandra Fuller, which was an eye-opening account of growing up in Africa while British colonialism crumbles around her. Um, my best friend had recommended this book to me, I don't even know, like years ago, and she lent it to me eons ago, and finally I got around to reading it, and it was, it was actually like, it was such an eye-opening story, I think there's nothing, there's no other way to describe it really, it's amazing that this girl lived through the, I don't know, how would you even put it, the sheer neglect, anyway, so it's really, really interesting story, it did have some issues, but it was a really interesting story. Um, and I also quite enjoyed an advanced reading copy I got of a book called Fearless by Fiona Higgins. And although it had some issues, it was really refreshing to read a book about Indonesia that felt like the author knew what they were talking about. You can check out the full reviews as well as the other books I've been reading on the Tinted Edges website. Alright readers, that's it for me. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for the next episode in March. <laughs>